0: All right, we are back here on Doc Talks DX where we talk about the diagnosis. And we have Alicia, and hopefully you have listened to her interview on our regular podcast, Doc Talks. And so now we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty of what kind of issue mental health-wise uh, that you may may be dealing with. Uh, you did mention that you are seeing a therapist mm-hmm. currently. What kind of diagnosis has been thrown at you
1: she has theorized on anxiety a little bit of depression but then she kind of keeps bringing up maybe a low level somewhere on the spectrum of bipolar disorder which wouldn't be crazy because there are multiple people in my family who have that there's a lot of depression in my family alcoholism you know that whole mess of good stuff from repressed white people in the country
0: yeah, there is a, a wide range when it gets to bipolar depression. Typically, you know, in the past it was called manic depression. And so in able to get into that qualifying of uh, on the DSM, there has to be some manic level. Did you ever get to a point of where you just, I don't want to say go crazy, but where you were, you know, on shopping sprees and very irresponsible with with money and uh, that kind of thing.
1: I wouldn't say I have been manic in that type of way, but there's definitely like, there's a clear wave that kind of takes place throughout the things that I do. Because like, if we're thinking back to when I just got separated or when I just got my apartment by myself, like I was obsessively buying stuff for the apartment, building it, like, you know, forgetting to eat and sleep and just like balls to the wall, doing only that, obsessing over it until until it was done. And if I don't have anything, then I can definitely very easily fall into a very sad little slump and then, you know, get tempted by self-medicating and, you know, drinking too much. So there are definitely clear highs and lows in my memory, but there was never anything where I felt like I was out of
0: control. Right. As I mentioned between our break here, uh, that you would be a tough cookie to diagnose because I personally don't think I would agree with the bipolar disorder. Uh, I don't think, which let me add this disclaimer. We've talked now for, what, an hour? About. And so so I'm, I'm supposed to give you some kind of diagnosis, which is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, you would meet with a client three or four times before you would get to a, a diagnosis. But a lot of times when clients come to us, they've seen a psychiatrist. And so that diagnosis has been brought over. But I, I think if I had to, for lack of a better term, if I had to pigeonhole you into a diagnosis that fit, I would first of all look at a little bit of OCD in that you need to have control over your world, that while you're still want everybody else to be happy, you've got to be in control of them being happy. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, it does. Okay. So we could kind of pigeonhole just a little bit into OCD. But I think the majority of your high and low of depression um, comes from complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder, which when we think of that, we think about veterans. You know, that's the first thing that comes to our minds. We think about survivors of 9-11 being here in New York. We we think about that. And then, you know, there's contact, non-contact PTSD where Theoretically, I could have PTSD from, from watching some major traumatic event take place. Or I could be in the midst of it and have the contact PTSD where I was there, I was in it. What complex PTSD is that the stressor, the traumatic stressor, happened over a period of time. It wasn't just one thing. So in your childhood of being in a very strong, conservative, legalistic, religious home made you feel like you weren't good enough. You were never good enough. And probably, if I had to guess, that you would never be good enough. That you would never be able to get to a point to say, okay, this is who I am and I don't care what anybody else thinks because I'm good enough just as I am. Is that a fair...
1: Um, Yeah. Um, I do want to clarify though that my parents were super loving and supportive. (laughs) They just, you know, I I was just stunted as far as expressing myself in ways that God wouldn't approve of went.
0: Sure. Sure. So, uh, and and I'm glad that you said that because I'm painting a very uh, negative picture here of, right. of childhood, but it's more so in that these are the set of rules, and for lack of a better term, if you don't follow these rules, you're going to hell, and and that's the end, right? You know, that's and and that's kind of what follows along in that pattern of of never being good enough because I have these desires to do these things like not a good term, but normal kids. I want to do what the others do. I want to fit in. And because you couldn't, you then suffered from the stressor, this trauma of not being like everyone else, not being able to go to the parties or having the sleepovers or whatever the case may be. And then, so we then bring this into your adult life with your relationship with your ex-husband. In that you still had the want and the desire to define who you were, um, because you never did really find who you were. Now we talked about in the first episode you playing this character and how this character uh, in, in this play kind of we had this epiphany in the first podcast that hey this character really was a lot of who you are you know in in that time frame of your life. And so as, as we look at this uh, stressor and it carries over into your marriage of not really being compatible or not really being able to communicate your compatibility because of things you like, or you dislike that, that continual stressor then brought you to a complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So I would, once again, this is a very, you know, pigeonhole kind of, uh, you know, just throwing this out there. Please don't go home and go, I've got CPTSD and I just don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) Or go to your therapist next week and say, I, Doc Brian, told me... (laughs) uh so uh this is more to be informative about what cptsd is uh, as opposed to saying hey this is what what you have going on but the thing with the cptsd is that you have the triggers and you mentioned how things happen and you just get so angry and then you look back and well that was silly i was even angry about that mm-hmm. or there is this this rage that just kind of comes out of nowhere, or this feeling, this thought that I'm not good enough when somebody isn't reciprocating a friendship in the way that you would think. And and I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here and say, you probably even feel that way sometimes with your clients.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I give so much of myself to them and I've started to need to Establish boundaries a little bit more because, you know, a lot of them subconsciously learned, like, if they keep asking, I'll keep giving.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And it got to a point where I was so overwhelmed, like, like, I have this severely stress induced, like, brain fog. If I'm really stressed, I can't think it's it's impossible. So I just have all of that stress and I can't do anything about it. So I got to that point. Um, a few weeks ago and we just left and we went to we went to the beach for five days and put my phone in in the drawer and I came back and I felt fine and I could totally deal with with all of those things um, but yeah it's it's a problem it, I am a people pleaser to a
0: fault mm-hmm. so in doing that i I've been quoted to say what you allow is what will continue mm-hmm And, and it's easier to start strong and back off than it is to start weak and try to make it stronger. Right. So in, in setting boundaries, even within relationships is so important and it's not something that, that we should be afraid of. And it's not something that we should not be willing to commit to either. If you are in love with somebody, and as we mentioned, love is blind, but. If you really are in love with somebody, we want to make sure that it really is love and not infatuation. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get kind of messed up. Going back to the CPTSD, the way that that would be treated would be to begin to realize what those triggers are, what stresses you out and set a boundary so that you either don't get anywhere near it or, you know, where the red flag is that, that, Hey, we're just not going there now with, with CPTSD also then of course comes the anxiety and the panic. As I've mentioned before on another podcast, uh, there is a difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack. And a lot of people don't, don't know. And that is that anxiety is there's a trigger. A panic just happens. It, you know, your your body says, hey, we're shutting down. And there's no really external reason. There's no trigger? This. No external trigger. Whoa. No. So, um, and I mean, there are people that then, you know, have this panic attack, which then leads into a vasovagal syncope, which they just faint. I mean, just like they're down. I, I have a, a friend who she has Down syndrome. And if she gets in a panic, she can see, feel her body going into it, and she will just lay on the floor. And then, boom, she's out. Just like Like, in preparation, like, I don't want to hit my head. Right, absolutely. And so you can kind of, while there is no external trigger, you can feel your body heading in that direction. And it's so important for us to uh, vocalize to ourselves what those feelings are and when those things are coming. And I'm sure you've, you've heard people say before, I'm about to have a panic attack. Well, no, you're not. You're not. <laughs> impossible. You are about to have an anxiety attack. And, and so, what happens though is that most of the time in those situations, people say, Well, I'm about to have an anxiety attack. Well, that's not helping your anxiety. You know, it's it, it's that's probably not going to make the situation better. It's kind of like telling a, a woman who is very angry to just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, there are good luck sewing are, your
1: face back right, on after that.
0: Exactly. So, uh, you know, in, in in the same way of with CPTSD or, or PTSD, uh, we see these triggers and they can even be found in our relationships. You mentioned about your ex-husband, how at points and times it felt more of a parent-child relationship mm-hmm. than it did a marriage. And there probably were, if you look back, certain phrases or words that he used that took you back to your childhood.
1: I mean, probably. I, I couldn't pick them off the top of my head right now. Right. But it was also, like, it was a tone thing. It was, like, this holier-than-thou, condescending tone, and he didn't realize he was doing it. He actually legitimately felt like he needed to explain me to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have a big problem like, like that, or with that. I mean...
0: Well, I, I'm sorry for trying to explain you to you.
1: <laughs> oh no, no, no! You are allowed.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. You are
1: allowed. He 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 was trying to rationalize why I wasn't happy. Gotcha. So he was just talking in circles about about me, to me, trying to figure it out himself. So I don't fault him for that. But in the like, even even in the beginning, there he definitely. Wh- whenever he shut me down, whenever he made it seem like. If something I was excited about or, you know, just like with my parents, if I had an emotion that he thought was silly, I just, I swallowed it. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped, stopped sharing things like that with him because they would be stupid. Yeah. There weren't specific words, but there's a face, there's a tone.
0: Arguments are 99% tone and 1% content.
1: That that makes a lot of sense. I believe that yeah. he and I didn't even argue. <laughs> he just talked.
0: Yeah. Well, it takes two to argue. So, mm-hmm. yeah. In, in talking about even, you know, and, and as I said, this is kind of a, a hard even time to say, OK, this is probably what's wrong. Because, which you know, as you mentioned, bipolar uh, was in your family. Uh, we do know that bipolar disorder, in some parts of the spectrum, is hereditary, uh, and so in CPTSD or even PTSD, the way that it would be treated uh, would depend on the severity of it. Uh, whether you would treat it with medicine uh, in conjunction with psychotherapy, which is talk therapy, or EMDR is is kind of something that is coming on the scene. I don't know if you know what EMDR. Yeah, my therapist told me about okay. that. Yeah. Did she suggest that you try it?
1: Yes, but for something else. Okay. Okay.
0: So, uh, which EMDR treats a plethora of of different kinds of, uh, of mental health issues, but particularly PTSD, uh, it helps because we can then package those thoughts that are in our forefront for those of you who don't know emdr is eye movement desensitization realization and so you could do emdr or something that i'm not a fan of and we're just going to throw this out here because i'm not a big believer but i have friends who are hypnotherapy Knew it. hypnotherapy <laughs> i have a friend down in florida who's a hypnotherapist and i just love him to death but i'm like dude, this is like, it just, no, this, this can't work. And I was like, you could not hypnotize me. And he said, you would be easier to hypnotize because you don't think it can be done and I'm okay. All right. But then when I started reading about it, am I, I don't know if you know this, but one of the first people to ever use hypnosis, uh, hypnotized himself so that he could remove his gallbladder. And this was pre-before ether came along. They used hypnotherapy to do surgeries on people. And so I'm like, well, it's documented. I mean, it has to be real. This is in these literature books. And so he really has opened my mind up because with hypnotherapy, if you don't want it to work, it's not going to work. But will talk therapy work if you don't want it to work? Nope. No. So there are there are so many different things uh, that you could do. Even within uh, CPTSD, you could do cognitive behavioral therapy uh, where you're exposed to the stressors and you come to the realization that, that these just aren't near as bad as our mind projects them to be. Uh, as I said, I'm not going to say I don't have any idea because then I wouldn't be Doc Brian who knows <laughs> all and is all and is above all and... All that kind of stuff which I'm not. But Your assessment is very uh,
1: astute though. I'm sorry. Your assessment is very astute.
0: Well, I appreciate that, but as I said, you've been a hard cookie and uh I guess I'm gonna blame this on on because she she made me interview you. So, uh <laughs>
1: Well I, I got a whole bunch of shit, but I <laughs> you you caught me at a time where I'm dealing with it well. Mm-hmm. So Let's let's circle back in like a year. Let's see if I've sure. you know fallen apart again.
0: Sure. Or when you fall apart, let me know. I
1: will call you. So, yes. So yeah. we can
0: we can get this pinned down here. But once again, uh, thank you for being with us here on this second part of, of Doc Talks DX. Uh, reminder: She has a podcast. Muscle spasms. She is a personal trainer here in New York. Tell us again. How we can find you. You
1: can find me on Instagram and Venmo at Elysian Forum, E-L-Y-S-I-A-N dot F-O-R-M. Great.
0: Should I give them my Venmo too? <laughs> I think so, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just for, for donations. I
0: understand. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media contacts are there. Be sure to tune in uh, next time on Doc Talks when we talk to people about life and how we go through it. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.